the people, he's two days from the cross. He's going to be on the cross soon. He sees it. He knows it. As he's leaving Jerusalem, as he, he came into the temple, keep in mind on Palm Sunday, he came into the temple area. Everybody was proclaiming him, remember? Hosanna, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now, God. That's what they're saying. They're shouting to Jesus as he walks in the city, save now, God. Save now. And he, so he walks into the temple. I don't want you to lose sight of the context. He walks into the temple, and the temple's full of money changers and all this craziness going on. And people are about religion, and people are doing the religious thing, and they're doing all that stuff. And Jesus cleanses it. Like a rushing wind blowing through the temple, the scriptures tell us, driving out the dust within. He just is pushing out all that garbage, all the people who are or hirelings or in it for money. Trying to rip off the people or take advantage of people who are honestly coming with, with an attitude that says, I want to know the, the true and living God. And so God comes to his house and he cleanses it. Then he spends some time talking with the Pharisees, the leadership. The leadership of the, of, of the religious people of those days that, that studied the word and should know and recognize the coming of the Messiah, the promised one. And he gives in chapter 23 a judgment upon them, several woes that he lays out for them because of this religious attitude, but they didn't know God. They did all the religious stuff, but they didn't know God. Have you ever read in the scripture where the scripture says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, and, and the, the Lord says, I'll say, depart from me in the everlasting fire, for I never knew you. And they'll say to me, Lord, we, we spoke in your name, and we prayed in your name, and we cast out demons in your name. But Jesus said, you were all about all the religious stuff. You had all the religious stuff down, but you never knew me. You didn't have a relationship with me. And so he lays out this judgment on the house of God, there at the temple area, and then as he turns to walk away, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the place I so often, I, God, speaking as the Lord, have wanted to gather you under my wings to bring you together in me and to say, everything's going to be okay and just come and follow me and, and, and everything's going to work out. But you would not, he said. You won't have it. You, you won't accept the, the, the consolation that I'm offering. So the Lord said, see then your house is left to you desolate. And then Jesus, God in the flesh, turns around and walks out of his house. And he never goes back. He says, see then, your house is left to you desolate. God came, you said no, and God left. I mean, isn't that just such an important concept for us to grasp? When we come to Matthew 24, that's what just happened. And the disciples are kind of blown away. What do you mean, see the house is desolate? He's, he's saying God's leaving the house. And so they point at the buildings. Remember, they point at the buildings and say, look at, look at the great buildings. And the Lord, in essence, says, who cares about the building? Do you know that a lot of people get uptight about the buildings today? Did you know that? It's amazing how uptight people get about the buildings. Well, you know, today the Bible says that your body is the temple of God. Hey, don't get carried away. But the other day, somebody was telling me, Jackie, you know, 
your body is the temple of God. You ought to treat it better. And I said, in my mind, because that's where these conversations take place the best. I said, shut up. (laughs) And then I said, you're just jealous because my temple's bigger than yours. Listen, I, I, I know it's funny, but listen, the, the, the concept still, our mind's in the wrong place, right? The, the, our mind goes, oh, the temp- I've got to decorate the temple. I've got to make the temple look all pretty and all right. And I'm not saying that's, that those things are wrong by any means. What I'm saying is, what's in the temple matters more. Are you listening? What's in the temple? The, Jesus, when he left, said, your your house. When he first came, he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. When he leaves, he says, your house is desolate. It's empty. I'm not there. I'm not there. So when the disciples are looking at the buildings and they're concerned with all that outside stuff, Jesus said, listen guys, I'm going to prove to you that I'm a prophet. And in the first couple of verses of, of Matthew chapter 24, he says, that not one stone will be left on another. These buildings are going to fall down. Now, when Jesus is talking, as we look at the Olivet Discourse, there's several ways that people want to look at the Olivet Discourse. And all kind of fancy words in theology, like the preterist view, or the futurist view, or the future preterist view, or the preterist future view. All that is people talking about how much they know and, and how little they understand that the Word of God is living and powerful today. It was spoken... About the nation Israel and what was coming. But, but I think it has value for us today with the same concepts that Jesus is laying out for Israel. I don't want my house to be desolate. And I don't want my temple to be empty. I want it to be a place where God is welcome. And where God communes with me. Where he spends time with me. So Jesus said, these buildings are nothing. They're not one stone left on another. Today you go, you can see the stones are still toppled. They're still in big piles. What Jesus said would happen, happened. And then he gives us signs of the times. Now, when we look at the signs of the times, and we looked at them last week, when we look at these things, as we see them, we, we sometimes can get afraid or worried. Listen, when Jesus talks about the birth pangs, the signs of the times, the, the beginning of sorrows, what he's saying, what he's laying out for us is simple. These things are always going to be with you. They're always going to happen. You're always going to deal with them. But you're going to see them get greater and greater and greater. More frequent. They're going to happen more frequently. They're going to happen in weird places. Weird things are going to go on. And as you look at those, it's not a, a concept of being afraid because the Lord says the end's not yet. The end is way worse than this. The point is, as we look at those things, to recognize the sign of the times. Here's the sign of the times that we as a church need to understand. It's really simple. Nobody guarantees you tomorrow. Nobody. Nobody. A little better, well not quite a year, maybe it was a year ago, I'm not sure. Anna Lures was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. 
And we prayed for her, and, and, and she went through the treatment, and, and a few days ago we celebrated with her the fact that she's got a, a clean bill of health. A year later, God's brought her through, and, and the cancer seems to be eradicated. You know, you never know when they see the, say the C word, but the hope is, and that thing that we're clinging to, yeah, she's good, man. A year later, chemo's over, things are looking good. We had the, the T. How many ladies went to the tea this weekend? Do you guys have a good time? Yeah. <clears throat> so we have a fabulous time at a tea. And we're gathered around and we're, we're ministering to one another, being ministered to by the word and in worship and just fellowship. And then Anna gets up and she goes home and she decides she wants to ride a horse. She's going to ride a horse. She got on the horse. She knows how to ride, but... That particular day, that particular moment, the horse throws her. And she spends yesterday, still today, in the hospital in Twin Falls, landed on her head and her back. So far, they don't see nothing broke. She got a, a concussion, fairly severe concussion, but, but the prognosis is she's going to be okay. But the point is, you see how quick things change? So Jesus said through the Psalms and the Proverbs, Lord, teach us to number our days that I might apply a heart of wisdom. What's a heart of wisdom? The whole concept of numbering our days is we don't have any idea the number. We don't know the number. But what we know is that, that God is calling us and directing us to a real relationship with him. A, a life given to him that we, that we know him. Not just we do his stuff. But that we know him. So he told us this, the signs of the times. And we'll read together these signs of the times that the Lord laid out for us. That we talked a little bit about last week. We'll begin in, uh, in verse 3. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when will these things be? The destruction of <coughs> Jerusalem. And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? That word, remember we talked about, that word coming means to come and stay. When are you coming to stay? Not leaving again. When are you coming? When are you setting up your kingdom? So Jesus said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they'll deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Well, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and to kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus lays out for us this concept, the idea of signs of the time. What's it going to look like? What's the world going to be like? 
And when we consider Matthew chapter 24, remember I told you all those fancy words, right? Preterist and futurist and futurist preterist. Preterist is Latin for, for past. There are people who read Matthew 24 and say all these things happened in 70 AD at the destruction of the temple. And that's true. All these things happened that we've just read. We haven't finished the chapter, but we just read. They all happened in 70 AD. A lot of those things took place. They really happened when, when Israel was destroyed. But the future view, or the future preterist view, sees not only does that tell us about what happened in the past, but it also speaks as to what is going to happen in the future. As we look forward to return of the king, that's what this is all about. Jesus comes back. His return. We find it in books. We find it in the, the movies and And stories that people love, this concept, this idea of the return of the king, it all has its foundation in the truth. Jesus Christ is coming back. What's it going to look like when that day comes? Well, that's what Jesus is laying out for us in Matthew chapter 24. You remember last time we talked about some of these things, some of the things that that we would see. He said that there will be spiritual deception. We see spiritual deception back then. We see spiritual deception now. It means people will seek to deceive others spiritually, to, to cause them to stumble and fall. We, we see that there will be political and, and military upheaval, wars and rumors of wars. We see that back then. We see that now. When's the last time you turned on the news and saw peace in the Middle East? Oh, yeah. It's not there. Well, surely man's going to be able to figure it out sooner or later, right? Because my entire life, they've been trying. My entire life. 1967, Israel gained control of Jerusalem and, and became or, or united that, that area of the world. They still haven't had peace. As far as I know, not a year of peace has gone by. A bomb didn't go off. A war didn't start. Something didn't happen. Jesus said... These are not the end. It's just the beginning of sorrows. It's a continual progression that's going to take place until He returns. Until that which the world is is longing for, the King, until the King comes back. Until creation has with it, with Him, with them, this thing. So we see the spiritual deception, the wars and rumors of wars. The, the next thing we saw was <clears throat> geological catastrophes, crazy things. Remember famine, pestilence, earthquakes? We talked about that last week. Every, uh, uh, every minute, 30 men die. Starvation in the world today. I was reminded last week that we as a body are a part of Fedim because we support... Uh, uh, the the work out in Malawi together as a body. And so together as a body, we are doing what we can to try to help feed the hungry in one part of the world that we're ministering to. But famine, it, it doesn't stop, does it? Famine's always been here, but it's going to grow worse and worse. Pestilence, always been here, but it's going to grow worse and worse. Earthquakes in various places, the uh, that word various literally means like weird. 
Weird places, strange places, places you don't normally think of, earthquakes. When I was in California, when we had an earthquake, nobody, it didn't, it didn't even make the news. It's supposed, it, you expect it to quake. In California, let me tell you how, how nutty Californians are, in case you didn't know. And in California, in California, in, in the 80s, I was in Alaska, <coughs> and there was a humongous earthquake in a, an offshore near Alaska. And so there was a tsunami warning that went out. Tsunami, right? Tidal wave. And so I was on a little bitty island in the Aleutian chain in Alaska. So we all run to the top of the highest mountain we can get to. And as we're running to get up there, we're looking at our watch thinking, man, if there's a tsunami, we're not going to make it. We eventually got up there and the tsunami never hit. In California, when they made the announcement that the tsunami was coming, people flocked to the beach. Knuckleheads. In some ways, they deserve a tsunami over there. But then, later on, we, we're all horrified when we watch a tsunami in Indonesia, right? 300,000 people in a blink of an eye dead. Or the one in Japan, 30,000, same way. These things have always been with us, but Jesus said these things are the beginning of sorrows. It's just signs of the time. The point of signs of the time is to get us to look up, to look for the Lord, to, to realize that the stuff we were hoping in the disciples, in the buildings, and all the pretty stuff, and in their religious system, that was what they were all hoping in. Jesus says, don't hope in all that, hope in me. Personal. Hope in me. All these things are going to be shaken. All these things are going to move. But then Jesus saying, not only are these things the beginning of sorrow, but then he continues to talk about things that point to his return. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Philipsis. You will go through a crushing. That's what the word tribulation means. Philipsis, to be crushed. The, the idea here, not being the great tribulation, or the time prophetically we talk about it, the the last seven years, but that you're going to go through persecution. That there's going to, who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, right? On the Mount of Olives. Not talking to everybody. He's talking to his disciples. And he says to them, you're going to go through persecution, a time of crushing. You know, most of the disciples died a martyr's death, right? Most of them gave their life for the gospel, for what they believed. Jesus said, it's going to start with you. But it's not ever going to stop. From the beginning of the church, guys, until today, persecution still happens. There are still nations that are wiping out Christians or trying to squash out the gospel. In Indonesia, for example, if you were in Vietnam, reaching out to, to folks in Vietnam, it is against the law to speak the gospel Anywhere that's not your property. If you speak a word of the gospel off your property, you could be arrested, tortured, thrown into prison for however long they want to throw you in prison. That's just one little section of the world. It's like that in a lot of places. Jesus said, the signs of the times, 
Think about the world we live in and the things that are going on. Then listen, there's going to be a mark of persecution. It happened in 70 AD with the disciples, with the beginning of the church. Remember the stoning of Stephen? You remember Paul going out and trying to wipe out the church? It has never stopped. It has never stopped. It continues to today. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. So we see persecution. The next thing, you will be hated by all nations. By all nations. That's interesting because if you, if you have a preterist view or a past view, and you look at the, the disciples, they were hated, but they weren't hated by all nations. Who were they hated by? Well, they were hated by the Jews, who were the initial thrust of persecution against the early church. And maybe you could say they were hated by the Romans. But you have a hard time saying they're hated by the world. Today, it's not so hard to see that concept. There's a lot of places around the world where there is this hatred of the truth. It's a, I don't care where you go, you, if you talk to people and you begin to talk about the truth of God's Word, that it's a foundation, I can hold to it, that I can, I can chain myself to it and say, this is absolutely true no matter what. And there are people who will hate you for that. They'll hate you all around the world, wherever you go. Jesus said it would be that way because He said they hated me. They'll hate you also. They won't hate you if you make compromise or peace. The world doesn't have any problem with a church that is all-inclusive and doesn't call sin, sin, and says, just do what you want. And the church, because of pressure, sometimes begins to, to start to look that way. Maybe we ourselves begin to make compromise, so we're not at war all the time. But Jesus said, it's supposed to be that way. There'll be persecution. And they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you everywhere, wherever you go. Be hated by all nations. Why? For my name's sake. Not because you're a jerk. If people hate you because you're a jerk, you earned it. <clears throat> if people hate you because you love Jesus, that's different. That's different. I love Jesus and I love his word. And I believe it's all true. Everything it says. I believe it is sin to live with a woman outside of the confines of marriage. I believe it's wrong to be sexually immoral. And that means all sexual immorality. Men with men, women with women, men with women who they shouldn't be with. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's all sin. And when we compromise with it, when we say it's all okay, what's the big deal? They won't hate you. You'll be at peace with the world. But the Lord said, peace with the world is enmity with me. That means you're choosing sides and you're not choosing me. But sin, if it's sin, I'm required to do something about it. Well, this may shock you. I'm not sure I'm supposed to grab a, a picket sign and run around. I think what I'm supposed to do is repent and say, You're right, Lord, this sin. Forgive me. 
And, and just in case we're sitting here high and mighty, just in case, you know we hate that kind of stuff. When Daniel, Daniel in the Bible is one of two people of whom the Bible does not speak of any sin they committed. doesn't mean he was sinless, but it doesn't speak of any. Daniel's in Babylon, he's taken away when he's 16 years old, he's turned into a eunuch. Come see me later if you want to know what that means. But if you're 16 and turn into a eunuch, it's bad. A lot of reasons to be angry at God. Daniel never knows a woman, never has a family, never has children. Daniel lives a life pretty devoted to the Lord and he prays three times a day and he's raised up in power and becomes the second in in command not only to the Babylonians but to the Medo-Persian Empire as well. They keep him on. And when we look at Daniel, listen, he begins to read the book of Jeremiah and he says, Oh my goodness, I, I begin to understand why we're here. The nation sinned. We kept saying that all these things that we were doing was, was okay and that it's not a problem. But God kept telling us, no, it's a problem. We need to repent. So you know what Daniel did? He repented for the nation. He didn't wait for all the lost or the people who didn't believe to change their view. He changed his Solomon, when he built the temple, looking into the future, he said, One day, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, if they'll repent, turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear their cry from heaven, and I'll heal their land. He doesn't say when the crazy knucklehead sinners who don't believe change, did he? He said, when my people, called by my name. And I think those same things are true for us today. If we, as his people, would acknowledge and say, what's true is true. And I'm, and I'm sorry if that offends you. I don't want to offend you. And I don't think you have less value because you're a sinner, because I'm a sinner too. We're all a bunch of filthy sinners who come to the hands of a God who loves us and died for us so that he can set us free from that sin. Now all he, he asks of us is to acknowledge, I'm a sinner, forgive me. And then he gives us that forgiveness. It's, it's really that simple, it's really that easy. But sometimes we, we start to develop concepts in our mind about elevating ourselves and we do all the religious stuff and we look like the Pharisees. And maybe just like the Pharisees, one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, Lord, Lord, and He's going to say, who are you? I never knew you. It's all about that relationship's the only thing that matters, man. It's the only thing that matters. He said that they're going to persecute you, kill you, and hate you because you love me, because of my name's sake. And then in verse 10 he says, and then many will be offended. Oh, now, now this is offensive. Because 
who he's talking about and the structure and the language that's put together here. The many who are offended, he's talking about in the body of believers. Many are going to be offended in the body of believers. They're going to be offended about the truth. They're going to be offended about what the Word really says. They're going to be offended about the things that they can't relate to today's society. And so because they're offended, there's going to be a scandalizo, a stumbling, a division. Jesus says, you want to know the signs of the time? Here's the signs of the time. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. And in my church, there'll be division. They're going to divide over things. Yeah, that whole concept for division is where we get the, the, the word denomination. Denomination, once upon a time it was so that we could tell who's real and who's not real. Later on, it becomes a way that we fight amongst ourselves. Listen, but I don't want us to think that doctrine doesn't matter. Doctrine matters. If you think doctrine doesn't matter, you're crazy you're falling for the lie that says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you just come to church. What's that got to do with anything? That's putting your trust in a building. The building's going to fall down. Put your trust in the true and living God. That's where our trust needs to be. We have these denominations and names and we get behind this name or we get behind this name. There's only one name that matters. That's the name of Jesus Christ. Period. And there are essential doctrines that you cannot ignore. The Bible says in John chapter 8, Jesus' words, unless you believe that I am, ego I me, unless you believe that I am eternal God, you'll die in your sin. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, the Lord lays out for us, great is the mystery that God was manifest in the flesh. Period. It's an essential. If that's not where you're at, that's, that's not the Word of God. That's something else. It's not the Word of God. The first attack against the church coming from within the church was those concepts. Jesus isn't man. Jesus isn't God. It's still the attack today. Those are the issues. Whether you wear flip-flops to church isn't. Or you wear Levi's. Or you wear a t-shirt. Who cares how you came? Come. It doesn't matter the building. Not one stinking rock's going to be left upon another. What matters is what's in your heart. What's in your life. What's inside. This is the value. Jesus said there's going to be division in my house. There's going to be division among you. He's talking to his disciples who later on become the church. There's going to be a division. There's going to be divisiveness. They'll be offended. And not only will there be division, but you're going to betray one another. You're going to betray one another. You know, I think about this when I, I've been reading a book on, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is an incredible guy to, to read about in the, in, in the annals of church history. He was a German who fought against the Nazis his whole life. He and every one of his brothers died, all Germans, born German in Germany during World War II, fighting against the Nazis. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer got a job in the United States, and he came to the United States to teach, and then he was looking at Germany and all this chaos of World War II, and he said, I can't stay here, i got to go back. And he went back and was arrested and put into a concentration camp from which he wrote many books, and ultimately, a few weeks before the end of the war, they kill him. He dies in prison, never gets loose. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know what his greatest problem was? That the church was behind, the church in Germany was behind what Hitler was doing in killing the Jews. They were, they were supporting it. The church didn't care because nobody was killing them. So there will be divisions among you and you'll betray one another. Hey, I consider that betraying one another. I, I consider betraying my fellow man, whether he's a believer or not, betraying one another. That people become absorbed with self, and it's about self, and this is what this is me, and this is what I like, and this is what I care about, and this is if, if, if you're having a conversation with somebody and you keep coming up in it, you're selfish. Shh, be quiet. And I can't this, and I can't that, and you know, I was in I, and I, yeah, yeah, stop. We don't exist, not one of us exists on this earth for ourselves. No one here exists so that I can do something for me. The pursuit of happiness and liberty, and all that other hogwash. That's not why I'm here. The pursuit of happiness. We got it wrong. I exist for what I can do for my brother. I am my brother's keeper. I exist for what I can do to honor my Lord and Savior. That's why I'm here. I have no right to the pursuit of stuff for me. At the expense of the rest of the world, it's not okay. It's not okay. He said, in the last days there will be division among my people. Among the church. And they'll, they'll hate each other. They'll betray each other. What else does he tell us in verse 10? The, and, and, and they'll they betray one another and hate one another. Within the body? What did Jesus say within the body? They'll know you are my disciples. How? By your love one for another. But what people recognize in the church is, is the fighting we do between one another. Now again, it is important that we deal with issues of doctrine and we work those things out. But we can work out issues of doctrine in love. I have never argued anybody into the family of God. In fact, I've never won an argument. <coughs> have I, honey? I never win an argument. I can't remember the last time an argument worked out for something good. Well, no, I know the Bible says all things work together for good. I know God brings good from them. But the Bible tells the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Arguing and fighting is a waste of time. Arguing and fighting. You want to learn? Let's sit down and learn together. Let's open up the Word Let's read the word together. Let's talk about the issues. The reality is most people don't want to know. They don't want to know. 
He said, in the house will be division. You're going to betray one another. You're going to hate one another. These are signs of the times. Signs that speak of the return of the king. The time when Jesus Christ will return, when he comes back. When he returns for us. Scripture lays out for us that this this attitude, these things that are going on within the, the house of God. There are all these emotional changes that take place in us and through us. That there's going to be a change that happens. But then in verse 11, not only are we going to have these problems within the church. Not only are we going to have these problems from without. We're going to have problems from outside. We're going to have problems from inside. And then it says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. That's not a few, that's many. False prophets. You have false Christ, he already talked about that. People proclaiming to be the return of of the Lord. Now he says there's going to be false prophets. People with false teaching. The Bible tells us that people are going to start to heap up for themselves teachers that will scratch their itching ears, that will say the things you want to hear, who will take the word of God And instead of give you what the Word of God says, they'll tell you what you want to receive from the Word of God and forget the rest. They'll tell you, forget it. I I can't forget it. It, It's here. It's either true or it's a lie. If it isn't all true, then throw it out. And live your life how you think best. But on a day when I stand before God... And I say, Lord, Lord, I want to hear, hey, Jackie, been waiting for you, brother. I don't want to hear, who are you? I never knew you. I want to know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. What is the message that they're going to bring? We've already talked about it a little bit. They're going to disrupt something about Jesus Christ. They take Jesus and they make Him not God. They take Jesus and they turn Him into an angel. They take Jesus and they turn Him into the brother of Lucifer. They'll turn Him into anything other than what Scripture says He is. Scripture says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That means God became man. His name was Jesus Christ. He was justified in the Spirit. He was seen of angels, priests to the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up into glory. It's true. And if it's true, then these ought to be the things that that govern our life. What is it that John warned us with when we consider spiritual deception and false prophets and false teachings? He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Even if an angel of light stands before you and he proclaims any other gospel than this, let him be anathema, accursed. Test the spirits. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God and is the spirit of Antichrist. In 1 John 4, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We, we try to doctor up that phrase. Let me help you. 
Understand that phrase. Son of God means equal in character. Son of God means God in the flesh. Not that, like Greek mythology, that God knew a woman and had a half child, half God, half flesh, or an angel, or gave birth to something else. It's not what it means. You don't get to define the terms. You get to look at the terms as they're defined within the book. And within the book, it is defined as God in the flesh. That's what it means. Son of God. They're going to deny who Jesus is. Now, he says, this is not the end. It's a sign of the times. A sign of the times. A sign of the times saying, could be tomorrow. Could be next week. Could be 50 years. Could be five minutes. And we're not guaranteed any of it. Is a trust in the building? Is a trust in the body of the church? Is a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And in verse 12 he says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness. The Bible defines lawlessness as sin. Sin is lawlessness. Because, because of a... A corruption within the body of Christ because of a division. Because sin is going to abound even within the body of Christ. And and everybody's going to pretend it's not there. There's not an issue. Then the love of many is going to grow cold. It means people will fall out of love with God. They'll they'll start to turn their back on Him. and, And walk out and seek something else. Because... When they come to the house of God to hear about the power of God, all they see is a hypocritical living of believers who pretend like everything's okay and everything's acceptable and there's no big problem. And they realize that's no power in that at all. That's just exactly how I live my life. The love of many will grow cold and they will walk away. Spend some time visiting churches. There are a lot of empty churches today. Around the world, sure there are. Sure there are. Because the love of many has grown cold. In verse 13 he says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Listen, the scripture declares to us in Hebrews that we have need of endurance. We have need of endurance. He who endures. He who holds fast to the faith. It'd be saved. But you got to hold on to the Lord, man. We got to cling to Him for all we're worth. We got to hold tightly and, and desire, trust in Him. Even when the storm blows, even when you just finished with cancer and a horse flings you off and you land on your head and spend a night in the hospital. And you think, really? Cancer wasn't enough. Now I got to get thrown off a horse. Sure. Happens to all of us. Yesterday was a bad day for horses. Well, a good day for horses, I guess. Horses, two. Calvary Chapel Buell, zero. <laughs> Barry Seeklander was out cowboying and got thrown off his horse, busted his ribs and a collarbone. No guarantee, right? No guarantees. He's fine. Going to be okay. (laughs) You go tell him that. I ain't telling him that. He's the scariest cowboy I ever knew. 
talks slow and deep. Anybody who does that, I just say, yes, sir. <laughs> We're not guaranteed any of these things, man. We don't, we, we want to see, we don't want to see spiritual complacency. We want to, we want to see people on fire with the Lord. We look at these things that he lays out for us and we look at these things, the, the, <clears throat> Love of many grown cold, the need of endurance all the way to the end. In verse 14 he says, <coughs> "Excuse me." in the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. And then the end will come. Man, we, we, we need to see the, the, the whole world evangelized. Well, the Lord did tell us to, to go and make disciples of all nations. But in the book of Revelation chapter 14, God's going to take the everlasting gospel give it to the angels, the angels are going to fly around the world and proclaim the everlasting gospel. He's going to give the gospel to 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are going to travel the world preaching the everlasting gospel. The word is going to be taught. And then Jesus is, is going to return. His second coming. He's going to put his feet on earth. He's going to stand here. He will... Return. And as we look at these things and the Jewishness of this scripture, and then, and then we turn to Revelation chapter 6 and we read through the seals, the six seals that are going to be open. And the first seal is this, this idea of peace. And the second seal is the unfulfillment of that peace and war and famine and pestilence and earthquakes. Ain't that stuff sound familiar? And, and persecution and martyrdom. All these things. You read Revelation chapter 6. Work your way through it. Everything that the Lord talks about that's going to take place during that tribulation period, the final seven years prophetically until His return. He talks about it in Matthew 24 too. But why? What's the big deal? We look at all that stuff and we do one of two things. We, we say, ah, oh, He's not coming. And we put it off till tomorrow worrying about doing anything about it. Or we get freaked out. Both of them are wrong. We're not supposed to get freaked out. We're not supposed to ignore it. We're supposed to pay attention to it. Signs of the times. Where's our heart? I encourage you this week. Sometime going through this week. Crack open the book of Revelation and read chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation is the report card for the church. Chapter 2 and 3 are seven letters to seven churches. A lot of people read Matthew chapter 24 and they'll say, Yeah, but that's not really for the church, that's for Israel. Okay. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Matthew 24 is all for Israel. It has nothing to do with the church. Revelation 2 and 3, however has everything to do with the church and nothing to do with Israel. Yeah. He gives a report card. The first church he talks about is the church of Ephesus. He says, you have left your first love. Because of a love of lawlessness, the heart of many grow cold. You left your first love Church at Ephesus has a lot of motion, but no devotion. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're all about religion. They're all about, you know, everything that's good. The Lord says good. Feed the hungry. Help people that are in need. Those are all good things. But there's no devotion to God in it. 
So you've left your first love. The second church is the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna is a persecuted church. They're the martyrs. You know what they're told to do? Endure to the end. God doesn't say, I'm going to deliver you. He says, endure. Endure. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes the Lord delivers. Sometimes the Lord doesn't. We need to endure. Church of Smyrna, he says, endure. By the way, the entire city of Smyrna, in recent history, there was a church there until recently. It's in Turkey. The entire city of Smyrna was destroyed. All the believers killed. That's current history. And the name of the city was changed. Can't find Smyrna anymore. They changed the name. Persecution still going on. The third church Jesus talks about is Pergamos. Jesus' charge against Pergamos is spiritual compromise. You're watering down all the important things that the Word of God says. You're, you're making compromise with the world. You're trying to make everybody happy. He says to the church of, of Pergamos, you're following the way of Balaam. The error of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam. What's that? You're a hireling. Everything you do is for money. Everything you do is so that you can get paid. You're sacrificing eternal riches for temporal gain. Now what Balaam did? The Lord told him three times, just stay here, Balaam, and everything will be good. No, no, Lord, I make more money over there. Let me go, let me go. Please let me go. Come on, let me go. Oh, Lord, come on. The Lord let him go. Balaam died in a pagan country with pockets full of gold and did not know the Lord. Church of Thyatira, their problem was lawlessness. Sexual immorality was rampant in the church. People living together outside of marriage and saying it's all good, it's okay, that's just the way it is today. That's the church of Thyatira. Church of Sardis was all reputation and no reality. Jesus said, you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. They had the reputation, that's what everybody else thinks about you. Character is what you really are. Character is the part God's concerned with. Who are you really? The church of Sardis was spiritually dead. They had no struggles, no fight, no persecution. Nobody hated them. Everybody loved them. Then you have the church of Philadelphia. That's a missionary church. The church of the open door. The church that was evangelizing. That's a church that was crossing the street to tell their neighbors about the truth of Jesus Christ. And finally you have the church of Laodicea. That's a lukewarm church. Jesus wasn't even in it. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in. And I'll sup with you and you with me. That's the report card of the church. Now you look at those two chapters in light of what we read in Matthew 24. And tell me how different it is. Jesus said these are the signs of the times. The question in the signs of the times. And when we look at this stuff. Not how guilty can Jackie make me feel on Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a happy mom sermon. I know sorry. I thought about a happy mom sermon. I decided against it. (laughs) You know. 
those seven churches, we're all one or more of those churches. I'm not talking about the church corporately. I'm talking about you individually, me individually. I'm one of those churches. I'm, maybe I'm two. Maybe I'm three of them. I don't know. To five of the seven churches, God says, there's a problem and you need to repent. To two of the churches, he says, you need to endure. To five, he says, repent. To two, he says, endure. Well, that's the message of Matthew 24. Why is he telling us about the signs of the times and how the world's going to look and, and when the world ends? It's not about when the world ends. It's about are you ready? It's about are you ready to see Jesus? And when you do see him and when you call out his name, does he know yours? Because everywhere in scripture, someone who belonged to God, he knew their name. When he tells a story in the gospel of Luke, he tells a story about the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that story? The rich man, he doesn't know his name. He had wealth, but he dies and goes to hell. Lazarus was a poor beggar who had nothing his whole life, but he had a relationship with God. He knew his name. He still was a beggar his whole life. He died and went to heaven. He went to Abraham's bosom. He knew his name. Does he know your name? The Bible says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived and don't deceive yourself. It's not hard. It's simple. But it's also something that we can neglect. It's something we can push away. How can we neglect so, so great a salvation that, that God died for us? That he, he gave us this? Will we live our life that way? Listen, the challenge for us this morning and as we go from this place and celebrate our moms, no greater gift you could ever give a mom than to walk with the Lord, your God, all your life. No greater gift. Walk with Him. Be real. Which one of those seven churches? Where do we fit? Today, there's something we can do about it. The same thing that Daniel needed to do we need to do. And that will be my encouragement to you. We're going to close right now. And I'll have the worship team come up. And we're going to share in a song. And I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to go around the room. And listen, <clears throat> you got time because it's not a quarter to twelve yet. So I'm doing pretty good today. <clears throat> what I want to encourage you is this. As we close in this song, listen, you know. You can ignore what God's saying and speaking to your heart. That's your choice. But every time you ignore what God says to you and you walk out the door, His voice gets quieter until you don't hear Him at all. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, I need to repent, that I need to get my life right, that I need to confess these things and confess the Lord, then we got prayer counselors that are going to be around the room. And while we're playing the song, who cares what anybody else thinks? If there's issue in you that you feel God speaking to your heart that you need to deal with, deal with it. Get it done. And then endure. Walk with Him until He calls us home, until we come to that place. That's what we want to do. So we're going to enter into a time of worship and, 
And I invite you guys to worship right along with us. But if the Lord spoke to your heart, you don't got to come up here into the front, but wherever there are prayer counselors, wherever, if there are not enough prayer counselors in, you feel like you ought to be one, be one. Get on the walls. Get somewhere where someone can get to you and, uh, and receive prayer. And then we'll close out uh, with a word of prayer after we finish uh, this song. God bless you guys. Go in peace.